So yes, my name is Dylan, and uh, I'm really excited about what God wants to teach us today. Uh, for the last several months, we've been going through the book of Acts, which is a, an amazing account of the early church. And today, we're going to be in Acts 26, so we're nearing the end. Um, but to start off, uh, I wanted to give a little uh, story about myself. Uh, whether or not you know this, I used to... Uh, be extremely opposed to the taste of coffee. Uh, so much so that in order to drink it at all, I had to mix in a hot cocoa packet, an entire one, and I had to have a generous portion of cream brulee creamer. Uh, <laughs> uh, but over time, my interest in coffee grew, and I came across a remarkable device. And this device is called the French press. Sean, you know what I'm talking about. And so, with the French press, never had my taste buds enjoyed such notes and flavors from coffee bean. And so, I, uh, it was a game changer for me. And I could finally drink it black. Yeah, I really grew up. So, and because... Uh, God has given me a very evangelistic heart. I literally told everyone I knew about this <laughs> remarkable discovery. And I really believe that my life was now better off that it included the French press than before. And so, of course, I wanted everyone else to say, hey, I want you to know this for yourself as well. And I was so convinced of this that I wanted no hindrances for people. And so I think I bought 15, 20 people French presses over, over years to come. A birthday, you want a French press? You want a wedding present, French press? So, oh, you're just broke? I'll buy you a French press. So, anyways, I, I bought a lot of them. But, uh, and so I was, became a firm believer in the French press, but it was very conditional. You know, I wasn't going to suffer for the French press, or if maybe someone opposed the French press. Uh, and I wasn't going to say that it was more important than your family and your job and your community. Uh, and so in today's story, however, we see in Acts 26, the Apostle Paul um, unashamedly stands before uh, King Agrippa, and he says, uh, in chains, he says, I am better off than you are. And so I want to look at how could Paul make such a radical statement. And so we're going to turn our Bibles to Acts 26, and we're going to start in verse 12. And we're going to be picking up where Paul is uh, basically giving his testimony to the king and other authorities. Uh, he is in chains. He's um, been moved around all over the place. And so we're going to pick up with his um, sharing about how Christ came and changed everything in his life. So I'm going to start in verse 12. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests, about noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me. And tell them that I will show you in the future what I will show you in the future, and I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. 
Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed the vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and then throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by, their good, by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and they tried to kill me, but God has protected me right up to this present time so that I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to the Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus, who was a Roman authority, shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth, and King Agrippa knows about all these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. Today I want to focus on Paul's response to King Agrippa in verse 29. I'm going to read it again. Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. I really want us to feel the outrageousness of this uh, statement Paul makes here. I mean, he's speaking to a king, and he's a king who had an attractive wife that he stole from another king, actually. Uh, He also had power and authority. He had servants to attend to his every need and to make sure he was always comfortable. He essentially had no worldly lack. And yet Paul stands before him and the other high, high officials of the day, and he says, without a hint of insecurity, I wish you all were as I am without these chains. It's remarkable. And I was thinking about uh, our recent president's visit to the uh, great state of Alaska, and I thought about, man, what if you were a prisoner in Anchorage Correctional over there, and uh, somehow you were able to arrange... Um, with the president, that he would hear your case, right? And so you haven't committed any of these crimes, just like Paul, but here you are in chains. And so, you know, you're standing before him and other high officials, and rather than suck up to them and maybe just try to people please, you say quite the opposite. And you say, hey, I am fully confident that I wish you all were as I am, except these chains. And that would be really radical for you to do that. And that's exactly what Paul did here. And so Paul was either crazy, as Festus thought, or he had personally experienced and tasted something far better than anything that this world had to offer. And so what did Paul think he had that made him better off than the king and all these people that were in the room? Well, the main point I want to hammer home in today is that life in Christ is better than any life that this world could offer us. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Father, 
man, what a joy it is to um, know who you are, to know what you're about. And uh, just thank you for your scriptures, Lord, that are living and active and that minister to each of us so uniquely. Um, Father, we want you to be glorified today. We want to know um, your goodness, Father. And so I just pray for breakthrough today, Lord. I pray that and people leave here with a higher view of you. I pray that people don't leave here with the same view. And so, God, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to minister, to break through, to teach us, and ultimately for you to be praised uh, in our hearts. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So who, who would have you have envied if you were in that room that day? Would you have wanted to, to be the king or would you wanted to be Paul? From a worldly perspective, it's pretty clear. King Agrippa had it made. He was set. And here Paul's in chains and looks like his life's a total train wreck. Uh, but yet he earnestly believed that the riches he had in Christ were not even worth comparing to the riches that the world offered. And so my hope for us today is that everyone here will become all the more convinced themselves that they can say to the world and even the President of the United States, I wish you were like I am. Paul was making an identity statement here. And this identity statement had no reliance on the world at all. And so I'm going to spend the next few minutes unpacking what it means to be in Christ, to be identified with Christ. And really, this is some foundational truths and promises of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, however you desire, I, I you know, encourage you to posture yourself. I'm just going to read through these. And um, yeah, I just really am praying that these fall upon us afresh, uh, whether or not you've been in the Word of God for 20 years or you don't know anything about the Word of God. Um, this stuff is, is remarkable. And actually, a lot of these were even written by Paul himself. And so I got 14 of these. There's many more. But uh, in Christ... We have bulletproof promises for our eternal good. Jeremiah 32.40 says, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me, and they will never leave me. In Christ, we have peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. In Christ, we have a seat in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 2.6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we have unfailing love. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1, 7. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. In Christ, we are set free from sin and death, just as that song spoke so beautifully. Romans 8.2, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives life, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
In Christ, we have assurance of eternal life. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, we are clothed in the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, we have help in the day of trouble. Psalms 86, 7. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you answer me. In Christ, we have unfading glory. John 17, 20. Jesus prayed, I have given them the glory that you, God, have given me. In Christ, we live with overflowing hope. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Christ so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we have steadfast love. Lamentations three twenty two. the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And lastly, in Christ, we are children of God. Romans eight sixteen through 17 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so as you hear these and as I read them, you know, it's so clear to me that I've never found any of these in this world or within myself. But what I have discovered and what I have come to believe is so true is 2 Corinthians 1.20, which says every single promise of God finds their yes in Christ Jesus. It doesn't find its yes in man and authorities and riches and possessions and families and marriages and kids and accomplishments, not even in adventures or retirement. And we see here Paul is banking his whole life on this truth. So I must ask you, what are you banking on to establish and define your identity? It's either the world or it's Christ. I want to unpack just two of these statements a bit further. In Christ, we are set free from sin and death. The irony of uh, this story and narrative is that Paul was the freest man in the room. Although he may have been a slave to the Roman Empire, he was free from sin and death. I'd take that any day of the week. And he needed nothing from the world. And yet he possessed everything in Christ. And so this is what true gospel freedom looks like. If we truly believe we possess everything we need in Christ, we can actually give ourselves away to a lost and dying world. And, you know, Paul says, uh, and the Corinthians, that he, although was free, he became a slave so that he may win a few. And Mike shared that last week. And as I thought about Paul in this situation, I thought about, man, have I tasted the abundant freedom of Christ so much that I'm desperate that others taste it also? Is there anything that I've ever treasured deeply enough that I'd be willing to give up my own freedom for so that others may have it? I mean, I have a car and health and a roof over my head. I have a great community. Um, great, I have very compassionate parents. But Do I value any of these things that much that I'd be willing to forfeit my freedom so that others can have it? 
Honestly, no, no. But I've become convinced, as Paul had, that knowing Christ is the treasure we're selling everything for. And as a prisoner in chains, Paul is saying to King Agrippa that day, very plain and simple, Jesus is that good. He's that precious, that valuable, that satisfying, that he would give up everything else he had, as he says in Philippians 3, just so that maybe, just maybe, people will know and experience it themselves. And so, Lord, may we bank our lives on Jesus, becoming more convinced, as Paul did, that true life and freedom is found in the Son. I love what Jesus said in John eight thirty eight. He says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And so do you know this type of liberating freedom for yourself? The second uh, statement that I wanted to unpack a bit more is, in Christ we have help in the day of trouble. We all know that life will undoubtedly bring trouble upon us. However, it's somewhat encouraging that I think it's safe to say that none of us will have as many hard days as Paul did. <laughs> if you read the book of Acts, it's just littered with all kinds of trials and tribulations of that guy. And I was just kind of thinking and laughing a bit about this, but if Paul were, happened to be a member of this church, I don't think any of us would look at his life and all the things he's gone through and going through and go, man, this guy is just crushing it for Jesus. <laughs> I mean, his life was a total train wreck to the human eye. But beautifully enough, underneath it all, God was bringing thousands upon thousands to faith and actually laying a foundation for the Gentiles, which almost all of us probably are, uh, to know salvation. And so the life of Paul teaches us a profound lesson. When the day of trouble comes, and it will come, we know that. We must trust Christ and his promise to help us in our time of need, that he hears us when we cry out to him. And for me, especially the last couple of weeks, um, I've really been uh, struggling to believe and really look to the things unseen rather than into the things seen. And what is in the unseen is a victorious king sitting on a throne with everything beneath his feet, ready to come to our rescue. Now, in contrast, let's look at King Agrippa, who in many ways represents the world. He had put his hope and identity in his power and his intellect, his possessions, maybe his beautiful wife, his respect, his authority. Yet interestingly enough, 2,000 years later, right now, what good are those things for King Agrippa right now? Said another way, what good are those things in the day of trouble? What good are our possessions, our knowledge, our degrees, our jobs, our wealth, our popularity, our children, our relational status when the, trouble, the day of trouble falls upon us? You know, where did King Agrippa turn when the day of trouble came upon him? And where do you turn? Thankfully, we, we're not left uh, questioning where to go and where we'll find help. We have Psalms 50.15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. One of my favorites is Hebrews 4.16. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us 
when we need it most. But as you uh, know just from your relationships, maybe from being a parent, uh, being a well-been children, you can't call upon someone you do not know. And so do you know him? Have you experienced and encountered the nearness of God? I just came across uh, Proverbs 11.4 this morning, actually, and it said something so fitting. It says, Riches do not profit in the day of trouble, but righteousness delivers us from death. And the righteous judge will come back. And in that moment, nothing else will matter. Riches will not matter. Nothing else will matter except one thing, and that's whose righteousness we stand on. And it's either Christ's righteousness or our own. Life in Christ is indeed better than any life this world could offer us. And so maybe you connect most with King Agrippa right now who seemingly had no need for a savior because all of his worldly identities seemed to be sufficient. Yet he was blind to the very fact that he was missing out on a relationship with the creator. And if that is you, I really believe God is saying with a deep love, and compassion. He's saying, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? This world and all of its pleasures will fade away, just like with King Agrippa. 2,000 years later, none of those things matter. But I offer, God offers eternal pleasures forevermore. Or maybe you envy Agrippa. Maybe you look at him and, man, that's what you desire. And you think, if I just, if I had that kind of life, I would be satisfied and I'd be self-sufficient. Yet he, the wisdom of Paul, I mean, that guy actually did have almost everything Agrippa had. And he says, I consider it all else rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ my Lord. And he was willing to be in chains for that truth. Perhaps right now you are an apathetic believer struggling to even care about the things of God. And you're just barely hanging in there. I feel like God is saying, return to your first love and bring all of your apathy and all of your disinterest to him. For I, for he, never stops pursuing us with unrelenting love and passion. And in fact, he has a fountain that never runs dry and it always satisfies And for those who are pressing into the Lord and banking entirely on the promises of God to be true, um, I really think this word, uh, this is actually Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 4. It's just so encouraging. He says, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Christ came to Paul, as we saw in that um, testimony he shared, as Matthew Henry put it, in the full career of sin. This remarkable truth of Christ is also true for me and you. 
The gospel tells us that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice, anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come into him and eat with him. And even though it's very uh, easy to forget this, none of us know the number of days the Lord has given us. None of us know when Christ will come riding on his white horse to judge the world. And I've just been really moved by the um, kind of the heeding of Isaiah, where he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is still near. And so I'm going to lead us in a time of seeking and responding to the Lord. Um, so if you bow your heads, please, and pray for us. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us right now. Thank you that, Lord, no matter what we come in with, no matter where we've come from, that we can still seek you, Lord, because you're still near, Lord. And Father, you just open up hearts right now, Lord. I know that we have so many different situations in this room. We have people in different places with you, Father. But I'm just so thankful that the Holy Spirit knows the depths of man, Lord. There's no hiding from you. But Lord, we know that grace goes down to even those depths, Lord. May we come out of the darkness. It's, man, Lord, thank you so much that your light breaks through and it sets us free, just like Paul was so convinced of. And Lord, I just, um, I lift up the people that seemingly have no need for you, Lord. I, I just pray that they say yes to you, Lord. They say yes to you, Jesus, and your promises. And they realize that nothing else will matter and that you offer such a better life, not only in this one, but the one to come. Lord, I pray for a repentant heart. I pray that they call upon you, Lord. And I know you will answer them, Lord, because that's what your word tells us. And Lord, I just, I lift up the people that are, are driven by the world and the envy, Lord, of what others may have and have accomplished, Lord. And I just pray that you show them how empty those things are, Lord, that they don't matter. They can't help you when trouble comes upon them. And Lord, you are such a bedrock, God. You're so much better than life itself. You're so much better than the air we breathe. And Lord, I just pray that you show them that. You're the only thing that's steady, Lord. You're the rock that we live, build our life on. And Father, I pray for those that are apathetic, that are just struggling to go another day. Lord, I pray that you refresh their hearts, Lord, that you remind them that it's not a performance game, that Christ has done it all. He said it is finished on the cross, that we live and rest under the banner of it is finished. And we're forever with you, God, that Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And I just pray that you refresh them, Lord, that you lift the burdens off of them, Lord, and that they experience the first love, Lord, that is so good. And Father, I just pray for those that are pressing into the darkness, Lord, bringing light, that believe and bank on the hopes of Christ. Man, I know it's such a hard battle and it can be so discouraging. You just want to turn around and run away. But Lord, may we look to Paul and see that, man, he pressed on to the end and he fought the good fight and he ran the race with perseverance, Lord. And man, if Paul can run the race with perseverance, then surely we can too because the same spirit that was in him is in us, is available to us. 
And so, Lord, we just thank you that in our helpless state, you saw us from above, Lord. You saw us before time even existed. You knew, Lord, we were helpless without a Savior. And so you came down, love came down and rescued us. And Father, I don't know why we would ever say no to that. I don't know why we would reject that. You offer us so much better than this world can. This world is so temporal, so fleeting. It's but grass that fades away and it remembers its place no more. And so, Father, we just praise you that you are alive right now, sitting on a throne. And you no longer condemn us, Father, because of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your glorious name that we pray. Amen.